This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Friday, November 18th. 2022 on today's episode we're gonna have a brief water cooler discussion but it's mostly going to be a news episode where we discuss the latest film and tv news this is slash film editorial director peter serrata and joining me at this podcast is slash film news writer and box office expert ryan scott hey, hey everyone how's it going let's uh before we get into the news i just wanted to talk about a movie i saw this week i went to the world premiere of disenchanted this is the sequel to Enchanted. Uh, Ryan, did, did you like Enchanted? I loved film? Enchanted. I loved Enchanted, and I saw that when I was uh, 18 years old coming out of high school. And uh, <laughs> and it was not necessarily the kind of movie that I would like thought of myself loving at that time, but I really liked it. And uh, actually, uh, just since you mentioned it, uh, look for this weekend's Tales from the Box Office, which will be about Enchanted. Uh, for its 15th anniversary and because of something you're about to talk about. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, yes, I loved Enchanted too. I feel like this is a Disney film, especially in the live action realm, because a lot of the Disney live action that aren't Marvel or Star Wars or, you know, uh, the other brands are not great. And I think Enchanted, especially in like the, you know, the kind of being like in the fairy tale realm of things is it, such a great movie. It has some great songs. It's a great fish out of water story where you take a character from those animated films, even if it's like a fictionally created for that film and you put her in the real world and she's stuck in New York city. And uh, it, there's so much fun had in that movie. So I was excited. Yeah. Actually, I think I've been covering the possibility of them being a sequel for, what did you say? Fifteen years? It's been fifty. It's been exactly just <laughs> as of Thanksgiving weekend. Exactly fifteen years, and also perhaps the best use of Patrick Dempsey ever. Yes, uh, I, I think I was at the junket for that movie fifteen years ago, and I might have asked the first question of a uh, you know about a sequel. So that's how long I've been wanting a sequel. So when I heard Disenchanted was coming out, I was so excited. Got invited to the world premiere. And uh, boy, did I not like this movie. Uh, 
Uh, this is going straight to <laughs> oh, Disney no. Plus. Yeah, it's um. By the way, Ryan, is Disney Plus? I'm not sure if you remember this, but probably like 20, 25 years ago. So that would put you at ten years old. No, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, uh, but it, Disney was doing all these direct-to-DVD sequels at the time, and they were horrible. And yeah, I, I that think- was a that was a big that was a big part of their business model in the '90s, and that was actually what Toy Story Two was originally supposed to be. Yeah, and I think uh, Pixar was a big part of why that kind of got thrown in the trash. But it it feels to me like Disney Plus has now become the new version of the the direct to DVD sequels for Disney. Yeah, but also like <laughs> ones that maybe would have made a decent amount of money if they had just put them in theaters, like Hocus yeah. Pocus two. Okay. I'm not talking about quality of movie here. I'm just saying Hocus Pocus two. the amount that it was watched on Disney plus, like uh, kind of feels like they might've missed the mark on that one. I can't speak for disenchanted. I do think disenchanted makes more sense on streaming just because that movie was so long ago. Like, and it doesn't quite have the same cult following as something like Hocus Pocus does. Uh, But yeah, I guess, I guess maybe that's kind of, I don't know. I guess maybe their thinking is that like, you know, there's, you can, the the power of a sequel like that will mean more on streaming, but I don't know how true that is, but yeah, I guess that's kind of a decent comparison. Yeah. It's interesting because Netflix puts out, cranks out all this content, but most of it doesn't have IP behind it doesn't ha- it's not sequelized and disney's trying to do the other realm of things but it it really feels to me like the good stuff they're putting in theaters <laughs> and then in terms of movies and then like the stuff that quality wise that uh is not so great except for chippendale rescue Rangers. i was gonna say chippendale <laughs> uh there's there's definitely been a few yeah um i can't well, think of another well, but especially, no, there's probably, well, but I think the bigger ones, the a lot of the ones that are going to Hulu are ones that I would pay, yeah. that I would have paid good money for. But, but I, yeah, I, I just think Disney's streaming versus theatrical strategy is a little wonky right now. But anyways, uh, business aside from this, Disenchanted as a movie, I was just extremely disappointed. Like, uh, there's no good songs in this entire movie. The first Enchanted film has wonderful songs, wonderful music. Uh, and I'm not sure if, uh, anybody listening knows the plot of this movie, but it's, you know, basically takes place, uh, you know, years later and they move to the suburbs and things aren't going exactly as planned. So she makes a wish and turns the suburbs into her fantasy village. And in doing so, it just basically becomes a live action fairy tale movie where you lose the fish out of water element of the comedy. And uh, I don't know. Amy Adams is working her butt off to try to make this good, but it's, it's just, I was just so disappointed. I, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie, but it's, it's like a, a five out of 10 or something like that. Uh, so anyways, I was disappointed. Uh, I would not recommend seeing disenchanted. Uh, Ryan, did you see anything this past week? Uh, didn't see Disenchanted, uh, but I did. Uh, I, I actually went and saw Devotion on Wednesday, um, which is the new um, post World War II Korean War 
movie uh, that stars Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell. Uh, Glenn Powell carving out a lovely career for himself as a guy who does fighter pilot movies, um, having been in Top Gun Maverick uh, this year as well. But um, but yeah, this is a this is a based on a true story movie. Uh, it is uh, it is um, so it's not you know Top Gun Mavericky in that way, but it is a. Uh, 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 basically it, it tells the story of these two fighter pilots, one, uh, African-American, uh, man named, um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, uh, Jesse Brown, who was the first, uh, 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 African-American man to, to, uh, pass the aviator, uh, test in the Navy and he became an actual airman. And, uh, you know, it, so, so it's like a, you know, harrowing story in that way. And, um, and yeah, so so I saw that it, it's a I, I, it's a damn fine film I would say uh, directed by uh, one Mr. J D Dillard, uh, who um he did Slight, which I loved. It was at the Suntanas Film Festival in 2016, and then Sweetheart, which was I I have not seen, but it's well. Sweetheart is very good. I miss Slight though. Um, he was supposed to do. Well, I think he was supposed to do a Star Wars movie off the strength of Slate, if I remember correctly. And then that got scrapped at some point. Yeah, he said it's not happening. Um, but anyway, but uh, but yeah, but point being, that's who directed. It's a good it's a damn good movie. Um, I don't know if it's like, you know, it's not among the greatest war movies ever made or anything. But but from a, a, a performance and character perspective, it's very good. And in particular, Jonathan Majors is maybe not for this movie. But mark my words, Jonathan Majors is winning an Oscar someday. That man is going to be holding an Oscar trophy. Uh, uh, so, you know, I mean, that he is there is something about him. Uh, he is magnetic. And uh, yeah, he's 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 becoming the guy that like if he's in something, I even if the material does not seem interesting to me, I am interested to watch him do stuff. So. Uh, so, yeah. It, but uh, but yeah, it's worth it. The story being told is very much worth telling. Um, you'd think at this point we must have told every war story worth telling, but I guess not. And and uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's a good it's a good movie. And if you're looking for something over the Thanksgiving weekend that isn't like a superhero thing or anything, you know that we're all kind of exhausted with, uh, this is the kind of movie that we could stand to give a fair shake to in theaters. So I, I'd recommend it. Yeah. So don't watch Disenchanted. Go out and see Devotion. Apparently. Uh, okay, let's get into the news. This, earlier this week, we usually have you on on Monday to talk about the, the box office, but uh, you were busy. You were covering a big junket. And uh, so we weren't able to have you on, but I feel like we need to discuss this because it's only a couple times, a few times a year at this point that we have a movie this big at the box office. And I'm, I'm curious to see, find out how did Black Panther Wakanda Forever do? At the box well, office. Peter, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever did very, very, very well. Uh, it uh, with the actual adjusted numbers. So what I end up reporting on Mondays typically is the estimates, and then what will happen is Tuesday the number, the actuals will come out. So we can talk about the actuals for once. Um, this is box office <laughs> nerd stuff that nobody else cares about but me. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, the estimates. You, had you mean when they estimate the whole weekend on Friday, Ryan, that it isn't an actual accounting of the entire weekend that hasn't happened yet? Well, what I'm talking about is like so Sunday morning when everyone's <laughs> yeah, reading. Know, know. Yeah. So it's like it, it's it. But but it's what's always been amazing to me is how close they are. 
Like it's oh it's it's always crazy how but anyway, um so Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the the um estimates were one eighty, the actual was one eighty one point three. So it made $181.3 million, and that's just domestically. Uh, you know, so it, it uh, worldwide uh, did, I believe it was uh, 330, 350 was the number. Uh, but, but as of this writing right now, it has crossed 400 million worldwide. So heading into the weekend, it's 404.4 million. Uh, this was with Wednesday's numbers. The Thursday grosses have not been counted yet, but uh, 213.2 million domestic, 187.2 international. I mean, you know, Shang-Chi got a green light for a sequel off of, uh, like, I think 420 million. So, uh, Eternals made 400 and it's a China, an entire run. Uh, uh, Black Adam right now is at 352 million worldwide after almost a month. So yeah, doing damn good business, we should say. But I guess, I, I guess my big question is how does this compare to the first film? Well, the original made two hundred and two million in February. Uh, the other thing worth mentioning is that one hundred eighty-one million is by far the November record. Uh, the Hunger Games: Catching Fire held it for nearly a decade, uh, with I think it was one hundred and fifty-six million. So, um, I mean, by that measure, yeah, a, a huge win. Um, yeah, the original made like two hundred two million, but uh, we should say that you know that was just ahead of Avengers: Infinity War. MCU hype was at, you know, maybe arguably an all-time high. Uh, uh, Black uh, Black Panther, uh, uh, the late Chadwick Boseman, made his debut as T'Challa in Captain America Civil War two years earlier, which was one of the biggest movies of that entire year. A very beloved MCU movie to this day. So there was a lot sort of fueling Black Panther uh, toward that opening weekend. A stellar reviews. Um, you know, we weren't in a pandemic you know, so there were a lot of things that that that, you know, the landscape of movie going has changed so much. So Wakanda Forever dealing with having to make a movie they didn't set out to make, you know, without Chadwick, uh, uh, a very long movie, almost three hours, um, uh, you, you know, sort of sort of you sort of making a big a-list blockbuster Marvel movie without an A-list blockbuster Marvel, Marvel star. I don't yeah. know that we're putting enough focus on that. You know, and, and yes, of course, you're going to have the people wanting to go see and honor Chadwick and all that. And but so I think the fact that it came up about 20 million short of the original uh, post pandemic without a, a big star, a, th a much longer movie. I mean, I think that's incredible. You know, I yeah. don't think there's any I don't think there's any I don't think there's any like, oh, it didn't make as much as the original. If you're if you're having that kind of talk, you're an insane person. Because I don't think this was ever going to be, you know, maybe going to make as much as the original. And so, yeah, I think I think it's, you know, doing incredibly well. And I think Disney should be very happy with, with yeah. what's going on here. Oh, I, I think Disney should be very happy. I just am surprised that it didn't outgross the original just in the sense of, you know, uh, the original did well out of the gate, but it, it built like, you know, it. it like you said, it grew a following. The the characters grew a following uh, over the the next uh, few months. So many more people saw that that first movie, and I was thinking, I was thinking, especially with Chadwick's death, that like it would all build up. And that that trailer, that trailer that they had for this movie, 
is one of the best trailers I've I've seen. The in first years. the first Black Panther yeah. Wakanda Forever trailer is an absolute masterpiece unto itself. Um, but um, I still think though you have to look at your general moviegoer. You know that first one. P- audiences were familiar with T'Challa at that point. And Chadwick was, we talk about, you know, I was talking about um, Jonathan Majors. You talk about like a magnetic guy. You know, Chadwick was, I mean, particularly in that role, you know, you just can't replace that. And I think the big, the big thing that this movie was missing a little bit for your average movie going on the marketing is that they were trying to hide the Black Panther a little bit. And that's the whole thing, right? Like that's the whole, you know, it's like trying to make a Superman trailer without Superman in it. It's kind of, you know, it's tough. So, so, so I think the fact that it even got close is remarkable. And, and I thought there was a chance maybe it touched 200 million, but, and I think if this was like, if the pandemic had never happened, yeah, I do think it would have crossed 200 million. I think things would have been different, but the landscape of everything has changed so much in the last three years that I think that's really, that's where the biggest difference happened. I guess my question now, Ryan is, you know, how is this going to end up doing in the coming weeks? Because Black Panther, the first film, you know, it, it was kind of like that juggernaut, not like, a, I guess, Top Gun <laughs> juggernaut. But um, it's kind of weird because when I talk to non-film critics, they loved this movie. But when I talk to film critics, it's like uh, my discussion with Ben earlier this week. We had a lot of problems. It, uh, it, it, but despite that, I look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's 84% fresh. It's certified fresh on the tomato meter. So in, in critics' minds, it is a good movie, but I, I don't know. I, I just can't find a critic that like absolutely. The, the important thing to remember about Rotten Tomatoes, though, if it's like a 6.5 out of 10, that gets fresh. Yeah. So yeah. like, because I think that's my thing with Wakanda Forever. That's we and Ben talked about it a little bit earlier this week. Is that like the first one's you know an eight or nine out of ten? It's a, it's a stellar movie. This one is like you know it's it's good, but there's I had my problems with it as well. But like I think there's more good than bad in it. So like I think that mixed bag probably gets you to positive as opposed to negative. Yeah. You know. But, so a, that, but as opposed though, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes ninety five percent on this movie, which sure. Is and I think again, high. this is a crowd pleasing movie. Just one of those. It's you know that's we keep seeing that with Marvel. We keep <laughs> seeing that over and over again. A lot of us are, are tired of some of these things. And and as I said, coming out of this phase four for me was the MCU proving to me that that superheroes can get boring and exhausting to me. And I never thought that would be possible. And that's phase four's legacy is that it was too much stuff. And a lot of it wasn't good enough. Like a lot of it was just kind of average. And that was, that was exhausting to me. You know, there were only two MCU movies. I absolutely loved in this whole phase. And, you know, so it's, it's just kind of, you know, whatever, but anyway, but, but you know, that you know, Peter, you ask about how this movie's going to do. And the fun thing about talking about this on a Friday is that we can have some idea because uh, the, the weekend estimates are in. And so what we're looking at here is, uh, is a drop of about 60% uh, for between 70 and 72 million is what we're looking at estimates wise. Um, the first one dropped 45%. So that's, a yeah. Much and then that drop. was after a 200 million. So it made over a hundred million in its second weekend, which was nuts. Um, but again, different times, different circumstances, different, you know, so again, I mean, you know, that's, we talk about this a lot when you have, when you make so much money in your opening weekend, a bigger drop is easier to accomplish. It just, it's just the nature of the beast. 
Um, so we'll see. But I mean, again, it could over index. It could. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it if it did closer to like a 55 percent drop, um, you know, where so you end up maybe closer to 80 million. But but again, we'll see. I, you know, I, I it just depends. But but I mean, that's still good. I mean, you're so you're so you're easily going to clear 500 million by Monday worldwide. Um, you know, so, I mean, yeah. I, I still think this one's got a good shot at getting to a billion you know and i mean in the first one made 1.3 i mean if you yeah. make a billion dollars with a movie that doesn't really have like a known superhero in it that's i mean that's pretty damn incredible you yeah. know so so i mean that you know so well like, can you say that it doesn't have a known superhero it has the black panther it's just a new version yeah of but what that's but not okay it's like ghost rider right like you can if you talk when you say ghost rider people think of johnny blaze they don't think of robbie reyes they don't are not robbie reyes who's the who was the one that was on agents of shield was that robbie reyes? You oh, know what I'm saying. uh yes yes i know exactly what you're saying but you get my point yes there are other versions of superheroes you know yeah, not yeah. everything you know so so <laughs> it I, I, and i'm not i i'm not saying that to undercut the the because especially because the the whole notion of black panther is that it is a mantle that is passed down it works very well in this context, but your general public, you know, they're not seeing T'Challa. They're not seeing the Black Panther that they know. So that's what I'm kind of saying. Yes, in the end, the whole point of this is that yeah. we're passing a mantle. And yes, by the end of this movie, there is a new Black Panther. But, you know, that again, a lot of that was hidden in the marketing. So, yeah. Any movie that does over a billion dollars world worldwide is that that's a huge success. Right, or if it gets close to it, like like uh, multi. Unless maybe your avatar, and then you're going to get torn apart for being much less than the original, even though that's still sure, sure, sure. But we'll see. Hey, we get to talk about that in a few weeks. It's coming. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. Okay, uh, briefly, I want to talk about Fast X. I guess this is Fast Ten. Do we call it Fast X or do we call it Fast Ten? I. I I'm trying to think of like an expensive pun and I didn't have anything off my tongue, but yeah, let's just call it expensive. Expensive. Yeah. Uh, the budget has risen to a reported 340 million, making it potentially the fourth most expensive movie of all time. 340 million. Say that again, that your budget, your budget before marketing, (laughs) before you can, before you can even begin to think about making a dime of anything. You are in this thing for $340 million. How do you let that happen? Yeah, and that's a 70%, almost 70% increase from the $200 million of F9. And also $200 million is so much money. Like, I, there are very few <laughs> movies that should cost $200 million. Oh, this is just everything I bitch about all the time. Like, one of the first things I ever wrote for us was me talking about how Hollywood had to reckon with its budget problem. Oh, yeah. this is the, when I saw this yesterday, I wanted to scream. And I, I'm sure some of our listeners know this, but like with 340 million, add on to that the marketing, which is going to be like 150 to 200 million. Right. So, so the rule of thumb when you're not in fairy tale stupid land. Uh, is that you for like a blockbuster, you'll double, <laughs> you'll double the budget for marketing. Cause like you typically, you know, so like, so, so, you know, a really expensive movie like Avengers infinity war, right? Like, like a $200 million movie or something, you might spend yeah. 150, $200 million marketing. 
So Universal, no, they're not going to spend $340 million marketing this. But but so, yeah, you're probably adding another $150, $160 million for yeah. marketing. So, so let's call it $500 million before you ever can see a dime of anything. Yeah, the rap says it could go as high as $550. Then, uh, as you know, opening weekend is where they make most of their money. And there's a ticket split. So the, the theaters get some money. In the end, it ends up being close to 50%, right? Yeah, so but like, again, the, the very loose rule of thumb here, because studio accounting, it's not like they're telling us how all this works, but like roughly speaking, so if your movie makes a billion dollars in ticket sales at the box office, the studio can generally accept to, to see about 500 million of that return yeah. to them, give or take. And I would say probably more with like these front heavy movies, probably more than that, because a lot of that happens in the first couple weekends where the studio makes more money. Uh, something with like Top Gun, Maverick, they probably made less than 50 percent, I'm guessing, at some point, because uh, as the weeks go on, from what I understand from my exhibitor friends, the exhibitors make a bigger percentage. Right. Of, but that's as that the money. weeks go on. But 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 again, so that all maybe let's say it averages out to about. Yeah. Because the thing is, where we, when you're talking about when you're talking about fairy tale stupid numbers as big as this, rough math will do just fine. Uh, yeah. yeah. So like, so again, let's just say, let's be generous and say, after marketing, hell, let's be really generous. Let's be like super duper generous and say, somehow Universal can market the hell out of this thing for like 110 million dollars. So let's let's give them 450 million all in. So that would mean, using that rough math, you would need to make $900 million worldwide just to break even. Just yeah. to, like, before you could start seeing a dime, before you could start thinking about profit. And let's be clear, Fast and, and Furious And I think you're, you're lowering this. I think you need a billion dollars. Remember that number we just spoke about earlier where I was like, that is, you know, an achievement that not many films have reached? Right. It, it's the, <laughs> That's it's, the break it's, even. It's, that's the problem is when you're talking about, especially in the post pandemic era, when you're talking about the, you know, the, you can't guarantee, like, it seems like some of these movies are getting made, like assuming they're going to make a billion dollars and that's just stupid, you know? So, so yeah. So, I mean, universal, a typically really smart studio just, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of this has to do, we should mention the raps reporting. It had a lot to do with like, there's hugely increased salaries for all these stars who have been in these movies for a long time. And I get that, you know, like, but I mean, 340 million is just utter insanity. That is just cuckoo yeah. bananas money. Well, I mean, it's good that this franchise typically makes a ton of money, right? Like, uh, it's, it's not like it's trending downwards, right? Well, uh, I mean, and, and I'm, I was I'm setting that up say, because uh, you know, yeah. Furious Seven made 1.5 billion worldwide, but uh, you look at like last summer with F9, they made 726 million globally. I know the pandemic was a factor, obviously, but th yeah, the pandemic would... was definitely a factor there for sure. But but I mean, still, because even Fate of the Furious made just over a billion, so it was down quite a bit from what Furious Seven was. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not, and again, that's, that's, I get why Universal keeps making these. That's guaranteed returns. That's big money, you know, cause yeah. you can make, if you can make a movie for $150 million and it makes you 600 million worldwide, that's great. You know, cause that was kind of roughly the math of like fast, fast five, fast and furious six. That's great stuff. So, you know, but yeah, but then you let this get to 340 million. I mean, that's, that's just absolutely asinine.
Yeah. We should say Universal is a company. They're going to be making money on merchandising. They're, you know, they're building rides in the theme parks. There's this rumored roller coaster in Hollywood that's going to be built. Uh, so, I mean, even if they break even with the movie, it's going to do well for them. In sure, but I think that you're cutting. You just don't want to set that standard of like you know spending. Yeah. It's just irresponsible, and like the amount of money <laughs> you know like that you could be doing for. Because let's say you could somehow get this movie made for two hundred million. Which, and again, I'm going to say this over and over again. Unless it is like Avengers Endgame, you should be able to make any movie for two hundred million dollars. Um that's another $140 million that you could spend doing other things. You could make a Jurassic world for that, you know? So, so like, you know, that's where I get a little, cause you're not wrong. Yeah, sure. They're probably going to break even over the life of this thing, but just not only are they eating into the profit that this movie could have, it's what you could have investing that movie, that money elsewhere is, is you're losing out on other revenue that way. So it's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, they're also going to market this as the uh, the final installments. Well, this Are yeah, they, is this, this two films? Yeah, because essentially what they build is a, a Fast Ten and Fast Eleven are going to be they're like it's like a two parter that's going to end the main series and and especially with the budgets ramping up like this, they can't afford to keep making them. Like yeah. they literally couldn't. You just can't do it. You can't like you just can't especially if the expectation is that they're going to yeah. like have to pay the same amount of money to make the next one. I, I, you, that's it. That's the, that's the end of the road <laughs> straight up. Yeah. Like you doing that in, in my mind, maybe that could help spike the box office, but it didn't do that well for rise of Skywalker being the end of the Skywalker saga. So I don't, I don't know, but um, uh, I wanted to ask you, Ryan, and it sounds like uh, I asked you before we started recording. So you might know the answer to this. So there's three films that had a bigger budget without looking this up, Ryan, do you know what those three films were? I do. Uh, it is, uh, uh, I know the, the most of all time is, uh, pirates of the Caribbean. I believe it was the fourth one on stranger tides, uh, which had an almost $400 million budget, which again, yeah. just three seventy nine. Oh, that makes me sick. And that was like 10 <laughs> years ago too. So, um, <clears throat> And then, uh, and then I think it was Infinity War and Endgame, right? Close. Age of Ultron. Oh, Age of Ultron. Age of, I was just gonna say Age of Ultron. That's right. Age of Ultron somehow got over three hundred million. Like I don't remember how. That's right. And then, and then, uh, yeah, Endgame. And Endgame. Uh, three sixty-five for Age of Ultron and three fifty-six for Endgame. And and this film is probably gonna beat Avengers: Infinity War, which is three twenty-five. Uh, or I, I, I guess it is beating Avengers: Infinity. Yeah, War and again, like. The fact that, like, Avengers Endgame may be the biggest guarantee in cinema history, like, nothing was guaranteed to be a hit the way that, like, the only other, like, I think guarantee on that level ever was The Force Awakens. Like, those are the only two movies where, like, you were like, oh, yeah, these are just going to, like, maybe The Empire Strikes Back back in its day, you know what I mean? Like, where you just know... Where you just absolutely know this is about to just be cranked over the wall at the ballpark. Like, they, rarely yeah. does that happen. Uh, Fast and Furious 10, not a guarantee on the level at a $340 million budget. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. This drives me nuts. <laughs> okay, we have one last story to talk about today. I know we're going to run late on this one, so I apologize. But uh, we have a 
like a merger of sorts that could be very interesting. Ryan, you've written about this. This is a merger between Blumhouse and James Wan's Atomic Monster. Why is this going to be huge for horror? Is a is a huge deal. Um, and again, this is going to be. You talk about Universal Pictures, right? So Blumhouse, even if you don't follow the movie business, Blumhouse is a name horror fans know. They're used to seeing that title card. They know what that means. That's The Purge. That's Paranormal Activity. That's Sinister. That's The Black Phone. That's M. Night Shyamalan's whole whole career revival with Glass Split and The Visit. That's, you know, I mean, that's the recent Halloween trilogy. It's success, success, success. Uh, James Wan is a name many of us know. Going back, James Wan directed Furious 7. He directed one of the highest grossing movies of all time. He directed Aquaman, the highest grossing DC movie of all time. But James Wan cut his teeth in horror. That's what he does. He created the Saw and Insidious franchises. He is the man behind the Conjuring universe. Uh, You know, uh, this is what he does. He directed Malignant. and God bless him for it. Uh, So James Wan has a company called Atomic Monster. Now, James Wan and uh, Jason Blum have worked together a lot in the past. Well, now they're looking to merge. So it looks like what, they are in advanced negotiations uh, per the New York Times to merge their companies. And so what 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 would what would happen is uh, Atomic Monster would would become a part of Blumhouse and become like an independent shingle within Blumhouse. So James Wan would have you know Jason Blum's resources and and Blum the power of Blumhouse. But James Wan is a very creative guy who has a lot of pull, could get direct, you know, is a great producer, can pull in filmmakers, ideas, things like that. And uh, Blumhouse has a a, a deal uh, with Universal Pictures that runs through 2024. And, and part of what's nice about the deal with Universal, uh, as I understand it, is that it's a first look deal, meaning, OK, so Blumhouse makes a movie. They take it to Universal first and they go, you get the first right to say we want to distribute this or not. And if they don't, they can take it somewhere else. So that's why sometimes like a Blumhouse movie might end up at like Sony or something like that. But anyway, yeah. or get sold to Netflix, whatever. And, and they're taking it to them in like the development phase. They're not like presenting them with the movie. Uh, right? no, so I once, I, I don't know if that's changed much, but that actually, and sometimes they'll get on board in the beginning. Like I believe like Black Phone was like, it was like, yeah, we're definitely going to distribute this. But sometimes uh, I know Jason, uh, Jason Blum had talked about, sometimes they'll just make the movie and then they take it to them when it's done. And like, oh, okay. Are you know, are you going to do this or not? Because Blumhouse makes movies on every level. They make, you know, made for TV movies for next nothing budgets. Yeah. They, you know, it, it, it's all over the place. But anyway, so this would be the more merging of, the two greatest horror minds of our day under the same roof. One of the big implications here is that James Wan has been a Warner Brothers guy. As we've talked about a lot this year, Warner Brothers Discovery has had its problems. They're kind of losing talent. Walter Hamada just signed a deal with Paramount to be their horror guy uh, earlier this week. Well, now it looks like James Wan is going to go more or less be at Universal most of the time. He will probably still be a producer on Conjuring sequels and stuff because he's attached to that franchise. But new stuff is not going to get taken to Warner Brothers. It's going to go through this Blumhouse deal. So it's a big deal. Uh, By the way, not not to pat you on the back, but I remember when we were talking about Hamada and where he's going to end up, you predicted that Paramount. I mean, you threw it out there. You just like, I I thought it was cool if he ended up at Paramount. Yeah, it seemed like a logical because it seemed like one of the studios that that didn't. 
like again, Universal or Paramount, somewhere like that. That, but Paramount really wisely because again, Hamada cut his teeth producing horror, and and Paramount just had a the biggest hit it's had all year in Smile, and they're like, okay, cool, let's just get a horror. You know, I mean, so they were smart for taking him. But anyway, so Warner Brothers is losing talent, and this is another example of that. But so th- as I see it. This is nothing but good for horror fans. Uh, Jason Blum, by his own admission, is just a good producer. He's not an idea man. James Blunt, uh, James Wan has more ideas than he knows what to do with. I mean, <laughs> can I just can't think of a better marriage of two things in the modern world as we know it. So who's losing out in this deal? Warner Brothers. Oh, Warner Brothers is the big loser in this deal. And and um and uh, yeah, I mean, and and you know, Universal stands to gain a lot, and and so do both Blum and and James Wan. And the other thing is that Universal deal is up in 2024. At that point, they have a lot of options, right? Like Blumhouse could sell itself to another bigger entity and make a lot of money that way. They could make a new deal with Universal. They could make a deal with someone else. They would have a lot of leverage to cut a good deal. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is, you know, and so if you can get this atomic monster stuff done before then and get it producing, I mean, the horizon is great for, for Blumhouse. Uh, and yeah, so I, I mean, I'm very optimistic about this. I love this news. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do together. Okay. I do need to push you on one aspect here. Blumhouse is known for making, um, Micro budget or actually now lower budget films. I think the highest film, well, they just did the Halloween movies, which were like 20 million. Oh, I guess Tooth Fairy 48, but that's like an anomaly. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the higher end of what Blumhouse makes is 20 million. Does this now, does this hurt us as horror fans in that now if, if Juan is working with Blumhouse, does that mean that he's not going to be able to make bigger budget horror? I don't think that's necessarily the case because I think you have a studio like Universal Pictures that looks at, okay, you've got James Wan there and you've got Jason Blum and they can pitch the studio and be like, okay, fine, we'd like to make a more conjuring level movie for, let's say, closer to 30. And Blum has talked a lot about how budgets are going up and they've had to change the way they do business a little bit as a as a result of that. I don't think it precludes that, but I also think Juan is a guy who under that circumstance, it's not to say he won't go direct movies, you know, independent of like, it's not necessarily that it has to be made through the Blumhouse system of way they do things. Atomic Monster is going to be an independent shingle within Blumhouse. So Juan can go direct whatever he wants to direct. He can go direct another blockbuster if he wants. You know, it's just that Juan is a producer collaborating with Blumhouse gives you a lot of opportunities and avenues. Those two guys together can put together stuff they couldn't put together alone and they can attract a lot of talent together. And Juan as a producer, you know, has a great track record. So I think that's really what you're looking at. Okay. I think we've reached the end of today's slash home daily. You can find more of all of our work at slash home.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. The link is in our show notes and please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at slash home.com and write and read this podcast on Apple podcast. Tell your friends, spread the word and have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. 
and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.